Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. I don't know if this is the established conference or it is the intensive. <laughs> established intensive, I think. Well, that was powerful. If I can get this to work right. That was uh, powerful. I'll never think of Locust the same. I was in Taiwan and we were in a basketball stadium with about, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12,000 people. And, and I was trying to be funny. And I said, you know, I was talking about John the Baptist eating locusts. And I said, not even Asian people eat locusts. And they, they, they shouted simultaneously, all together at once in unison, yes, we do. <laughs> huh. Okay, guess you do. So powerful. Yeah. Can you stand up, please? What's your name? You're, you're right there. Yes, in black. Stand. Is that your man right there? Is he like your married man or like your hangout man? <laughs> Why don't you both stand up? Thank you, Lord. I saw, uh, first of all, on you. What is your name? Sarah. And what's your dude's name? Eric. Eric and Sarah. Uh, Sarah, I saw the Lord put a scroll in your hand, and I saw the word teacher written over your head. And uh, the Lord's really raising up these uh, powerful teachers, uh, especially emphasizing women. And I, I feel like the Lord's put a real strong teaching gift on your life. And he's going to open the, the scroll. He's going to unseal the scroll to you. He's going to give you, uh, and you know, uh, I think it was Ezekiel had to eat the scroll. But I, I feel like you're just going to have such an appetite for the word of the Lord, and it's going to it's, you're going to digest it and assimilate it, and it's going to come out of you as, as life, and people are going to wonder where you got this teaching gift. And um, I, I've been saying for a while that you know, Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends for all things I have heard from the Father made known to you. And I've been saying revelation is, is not the child of laborious labor, it is the child of friendship. And I believe that the Lord is in calling you into friendship with him and that revelatory anointing is going to be on your life. And then Eric, I saw you just helping her study. God bless you. <laughs> joking. Do you know this, this, this carpet has to be glued down here. I want to complain about that. Uh, <laughs> add that to the list of things that need to get done. Uh, Eric, the Lord's giving you a heart of a shepherd. And Jeremiah, uh, he's cr God's crying out through Jeremiah, like, where are the shepherds that actually have a heart for people? And I see the Lord put a heart for his people in your, in your life. And I saw you shepherding, pastoring people. And I think that your house is going to be a place, uh, uh, it's going to be a place where people get well, where people get trained and equipped. And I, even, I saw you guys like having this group, but also like online, I see you training and teaching people, but I also see you shepherding them. And uh, so I see the Lord giving you uh, eyes for people, and I believe that he's going to wake you up at night, and not like the evangelist for the lost so much, which is beautiful, but uh, for the people who are in the body of Christ but that are broken, uh, who are, who are uh, hurting. And I saw the Lord make you like a Holy Spirit psychologist where you were healing the hearts of people. And uh, I saw the Lord uh, healing broken hearts and broken minds and broken relationships. And, and I, I feel like you guys are like, you're, you're a great team. And I, and I just bless you as a team that you would be, I think someone said the word dynamic duel earlier, like you'd be like the dynamic duel, and I just bless that, and you, two of you, in Jesus' name. Do you have children? No. Huh. How long have you been married? Since February. Since February. Oh, good. Shouldn't have children yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Unless you want to. You should have them if you want to. I saw the Lord give you a daughter, and I saw her being like a concert pianist. And I see excellence flowing out of her to write songs and music. And, and uh, there's this whole thing about art and, uh, in her and, uh, and uh, songwriting and musical notes and uh, playing piano. And so I, I don't know when that'll happen, but I just bless that in y'all. It's in your sperm there, bro. <laughs> and in your egg. <laughs> Biology, I didn't make this up. <laughs> sorry, I'm just sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, right here, you're in uh, blue, yeah. Do you have a woman? Okay, well, you got to get busy. Got to get busy here. Find someone. Who would like to date this man? Let's get this solved right now, bro. A little bit of arranged marriage. I saw the word kindness written over your head. And I believe that you're, you're demonstrating the kindness of the Lord and the mercy of the Lord and, and, uh, and the healing of the Lord. And I, put your hands out like this, please. I saw the he a healing gift come on you. Like, it's very like a Benny Hinn kind of really powerful thing flowing out of you because the compassion... The Lord uh, wants to heal, not out of just a gift, but out of the compassion of the Lord. And, and uh, I, see you, I see you just going into hospitals like you're almost like a nurse or something, you know? And I see you like healing the hearts of people, but healing the bodies of people. So I just bless this healing gift on you. And uh, right now, the Lord's going to uh, confirm his gift, and your hands are going to get really hot. And then everybody whose hands feel like they're on fire, would you just stand right now, please? Like, like, it's not something you came with. But don't, don't ever fake anything like this. It's very serious. If you have, uh, your hands are on fire, physically on fire right now, just stand. Because the Lord's just uh, releasing this, this uh, gift, the supernatural gift of healing. And I, I just release the gift of healing over everyone who's standing right now. And I, I just bless the, the, the miracle workers, the healers, the, the restorers, Lord. I, I pray for miracles and wonders and signs especially on the people that you've anointed in this room standing. And we just, we, we agree with God in your lives right now. We also release the responsibility that you are, are to heal the sick. All of us are to heal the sick, but especially those who God gives a sign right now, heal the sick. We pray for the, the mantle that's on this man right here. What is your name? Chris. Yeah, that you've got a good name. You get to live up to this name. <laughs> that the same mantle that's on Chris with compassion, that you would move in compassion, and we just release that over you in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. You could sit down. Um, let's see. I have, I, I'm supposed to be done at four, right? We have a four o'clock something. Okay. I, I wanted to talk for a few minutes about the war of the worlds. And I want to tell you the story. Um, I, uh, many of you may know part of our story, so we... Uh, we lived in the Bay Area, and then uh, Kathy and I did. We got married. We, we, were, we were born and raised in, the, in Sunnyville, San Jose area. And then we moved to a little town called Lewiston, California. Uh, it's a town of 900 people in the mountains. You probably heard of Weaverville. If you've been with us, well, uh, Lewiston's just 20 minutes from Weaverville, uh, separated by this very windy uh, road that follows a river. And so we moved to Lewiston. I had a nervous breakdown before uh, in the Bay Area. That's why we moved there. I don't have time to tell you that whole story, except for to tell you that um, I, I got delivered in Lewiston, laying on my back, when a man said, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and sound mind, which is a verse I knew very well. But he said, some of you think that you're going insane, but actually a spirit of insanity is speaking to you. And he said, spirits speak to you by giving you their thoughts and accuse you of having them. And then he said, not all, not all your thoughts are your own. That was the first time I'd ever heard anyone say that, you, that a Christian could actually be demonized by listening to the thoughts of a demon. I laid on the floor. This is three and a half years after having, you know, I'd have 10 panic attacks a day. Couldn't sleep at night. Anyway, I laid on the floor in the middle of a winter night. And uh, I asked the Lord what to do. And he said, tell the spirit of insanity 
and the spirit of fear to leave you. And, and I, I mean, I shook like an alcoholic all the time. I couldn't keep food in. And I told the spirit of insanity, the spirit of fear to leave me. And I was laying on my back. And by this time, I could see demons, not, not like a schizophrenic person. I mean, they would knock pictures off the wall and they would turn lights on and off while Kathy was in the room. She went through the whole thing with me. I told the spirit of insanity and the, and the spirit of fear to leave me, and it felt like something got off me. I didn't see it in my eyes, but like, like you have one of those lead blankets that they, you put on when they uh, x-ray your teeth, just like that, but it just came off my whole body. And when that happened, my mind immediately cleared. First time in three and a half years that my mind was totally clear. And stayed clear for seven days. I didn't have, I had no anxiety for seven days, no bad thoughts, and the thoughts used to play like a movie, you know, killing people, molesting people, doing terrible things. They would just run in my mind like movies that I couldn't stop, like I wasn't in control of the, of the, of the clicker, you know? And then uh, seven days later, I was driving home, and I was singing and shouting in my Jeep on the way home on a, a winter night with moonless night down this, this road that followed the river, and all of a sudden, this spirit, this, this voice said to me, if you tell anyone what I did, for, what, if you tell anyone what happened to you that I got delivered, I will kill you. And I pulled over and all the symptoms came back. And I, I couldn't drive. I was on the side of the road. And then this other voice sa said to me, does the devil hate you? I said, yes. He said, why didn't he kill you the day you received Christ? To which I said, I have no idea because I was having a panic attack, I couldn't even think. He said, because he can't. His, all his power lies in an illusion. You're the one giving him power by believing him. And then I, 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 my mind cleared again, and, and then I spent the next three years realizing like it's one thing to get free, it's another thing to stay free. And I began to learn how to stay free. And, um, and I'm really going to a different place than the testimony I'm telling you right now, but um, when I got free, it, it took me about two years to tell anyone what happened to me because I didn't want people to think I was schizophrenic or insane. And so on one Sunday, I shared my testimony in our little church in Weaverville. Bill was our pastor, and he let me preach on a Sunday, and I preached about being free. And I told in... <laughs> In lots of anxiety, I told my story for the first time. Nobody had ever heard my story. My wife didn't know my story. She obviously lived my story, but she didn't know what was going on in my mind or what was happening to me. And when I got done, the, almost the entire church lined up for prayer, and I realized that I wasn't the only one who had the issue. Like, the enemy had told me, you're all alone. Like, like Elijah in the cave, you're all alone. You're the only one who has this issue. And I realized that people everywhere have this issue, that nobody was talking about it. And so um, anyway, that short story is my house became a house of deliverance. And, my, and I, I didn't know how to do deliverances. I knew how not to because I grew up in the Jesus movement. And we tormented people by trying to get them free. And most of the people need to be delivered from our deliverances because <laughs> we didn't get many people free, but we sure stirred up the hell, I'll tell you that. And... Uh, so it took a few years for us to actually see people get all the way free. And by the way, it was a great, Weaverville and Lewiston, these two little towns, way up in the mountains, an hour from culture, from society, it was a great laboratory for us because we actually knew the people that we were praying for deliverance for. Like, they lived down the street. So, you know, you can have, in a church this size or in a city this size or even Reading, that you, you minister to someone, you never know, like, okay, did they stop beating their wife? Did they stop cutting themselves? Like, you know, these things that people do when they're demonized. And we knew if they actually got free, not by the manifestations they had when we prayed for them, but the, by the life they lived after we prayed for them. So we knew that there was, you know, there was, we knew that, you know, we prayed for Johnny, but Johnny didn't actually get free. Johnny was still beating his wife. Johnny was still cutting himself. Johnny was still using drugs, whatever. And so it took time for us to learn like how we actually get people free in a way that they stay free. Anyway, I wanna just, I wanna talk a little bit about the War of the Worlds. And so this Lewiston, so I, we lived in Lewiston just two years, and then we moved to Weaverville because uh, that drive was a very treacherous drive in the wintertime, as you can imagine. 
and we were doing, and I worked in Weaverville. We had a, had a repair shop in Weaverville, and, uh, and we went to church in Weaverville, so it was just too much to drive that drive every day. And uh, so we were living in, in Weaverville, and the Lord told me when I was in Lewiston, he said, I'm gonna give you this, I'm gonna give you this city, this little city of 900 people. And so I had totally forgotten about it, and we were youth pastors for nine years in Weaverville. Uh, while we had our businesses, we were volunteer youth pastors at, at Mount Chapel, Bill's church, where I met Bill. And then um, at the end of that, the, that nine years, um, Bill's brother became our youth pastor, and I was the, just had a, a break from that, and the Lord told me, I want you to go to Lewiston every, and I want you to pray over the town. And he gave me specific instructions. You're not to talk to anyone. You're to go at night and you're, and you're to walk the city once a week. And I honestly thought I was gonna do this for a week or maybe two or three. So I just started going by myself and I just, you can, um, 750 of the people live in a subdivision that they built when they built the Lewiston Dam. So most people were concentrating in this one area. And I figured out that you could walk the complete subdivision in one hour. And so I would walk the subdivision uh, at night. I'd go at, at eight o'clock at night, every, every Sunday night, by myself, and I'd just walk. It wasn't exciting at all. And the Lord also told me, don't talk to anyone. So it wasn't evangelism, it wasn't anything like that. And, and by the way, I wasn't a great prayer. So, you know, I wasn't like the Lou Ingalls intercession. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. <laughs> We gotta have a move on. You know, it wasn't any of that, you know. <laughs> it was just, uh, so I, just wa- I, I would just walk and pray. And to be honest, like after about a month, I was like, wow, this could last longer. I had no idea it was gonna last more than a, a couple, couple weeks. So I'm walking and I'm like, and I keep asking the Lord, like after I'm done every week, like, am I coming back next week? And he kept telling me like, you'll pray till I tell you to. I'm like, all right. So after a month or a month and a half or so, I started thinking, well, this is gonna be, this is not, like this could go on for a few months. So I started getting serious about praying, like, okay, well, let's not just do it by habit. Let's, if we're gonna be here, let's do it good. So I started praying and the Lord would start giving, the Lord began to give me insight. By the way, I forgot to tell you this part. Lewiston, so the Trinity County, Lewiston's inside of Trinity County. Trinity County is, is huge landmass, one of the largest counties in California. Um, but it uh, does, doesn't have a lot of people in Trinity County. There's only 13,000. It's huge landmass. But uh, Lewiston was the worst, the absolute worst town in our entire county. It's where all the drug trafficking was, where the prostitution was, and they finally actually stationed sher- a sheriff, two sheriff's deputies in that area because the crime was so bad there. So, um, so anyway, so I'm walking, and the Lord would... I, after a while, I could close my eyes. In fact, you, I closed my eyes and, to pray and walk because I could figure out how far it was gonna be from one end to the other. And I'd walk and the Lord said, this, this lady's a prostitute and here's her name. And he'd tell me what her name was and to pray for her. And I could literally tell you what, what, what house I was in front of by the spirit that was in it. And the Lord was teaching me how to discern spirits. And so I was learning, like, this man right here, this drug trafficker, he was molested by his father, and the Lord would give me information, I want you to pray for the, his broken heart, and I would pray for him, never talking to them. Well, this went on for a year. I prayed, through, it, would, it would be snowing, three feet of snow, and I'd have my snow boots on, and I'd wrap up, and I would just pray. It would rain, and I would just walk in the rain. Nobody ever wanted to go with me. Once in a while, a couple people go with me, and then figure out, like, yeah, this isn't very exciting told you it wasn't, you know. At the end of 12 months, exactly 12 months, one Sunday, people, a bunch of my, my friends at church said, what do you do on Sunday nights? Like, I hear you go pray. I go, yeah, I'm going to this, and I just walk and pray, and, and I've been doing it for a year, and they're like, and it was like 15 of them wanted to go with me, and I was like trying to talk them out. I go, you're actually not wanting to go. Like, it's not exciting, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to go with you. No, really, you don't. No, really, we do. Okay. So there was this old gym that hadn't been open for, I don't know, 15 years. And I said, well, meet me at the gym. Everybody knows where Lewiston is in Weaverville. Meet me at the gym at 8 o'clock, and we'll pray. So they, they meet me at the gym, and it's, uh, it's, it's a moonless, you have to know, like if you've ever lived in the wilderness, 
when there's no moon, it means it's dark. Like in the city, you have lights that come on, but it means it's pitch dark. When I mean pitch dark, I mean like you can't see your, your hand in front of your face pitch dark. There are no lights. And Lewiston sits in a, the town sits in a valley and there's a, surrounded by mountains. So if you whisper outside at night, it echoes. So we, we're praying and they, I, I assign them streets and then it only takes about 20 minutes with that many people. And so we meet at the gym. And I said, okay, we'll circle up before we go. Let's pray. So we circle up. And right in front of the old gym, which is it's just an old gray metal building, huge metal building, there is a field about mm, probably four times the size of the sanctuary. And it's, it's got, you know, it's grass and it's, it's weeds that, that's grown up about to my neck, the whole field. So we start to pray you know, and, and, you know, no one's really praying passionately. We grab hands in a circle. It's 15, 16, 17 of us. And we start to pray. And as soon as we start to pray, I mean, like, the moment we say Jesus, out of the field goes, whoa! <laughs> now, you have to picture, you're in a valley. It's pitch dark. Are you with me? It's wintertime. Whoa! But a hundred times louder than that, echoing through the valley. It's the kind of noise that makes your hair stand up on your head kind of noise, right? Your, your hair and your arms are standing up. And so, and so we stop praying immediately, like thinking, oh, somebody's hurt. As soon as we stop praying, it immediately stops. It's in a field. That's really weird. So, so everyone's kind of looking at each other, you know, and really, you can't see the person across the, that's across from you. So I said, well, let's pray again. So we start to pray, and the second we, we start to pray, it goes, whoa, and it gets louder. So we pray for like 30 seconds, and we stop, and it stops immediately. And, and about 10 of the people go, I'm going home. <laughs> I go, you are freaking not going home. You are staying with me here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I want to go home if anyone wants to go home, right? So I said, let's grab hands and pray again. Well, man, I got to go home. I go, oh, no, no, you're staying here. Let's turn the headlights on. No, 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 just let's pray. They grab, we grab hands again, and we start to pray. And we're like, Jesus, we just bless. Now the passion is growing, right? Because you're, you're like, I'm either going to, you know, have a panic attack or I'm going to get louder. So, so we start praying, and, it, and, and we're praying, Lord, we just bless Lewiston right now. We just, we just break the power. It starts screaming. And the louder we get, the louder it gets. To like, we are, we, it's obvious we are in a war with something from another realm, but it has manifest in this realm. And we are, now we're yelling, right? And now we have overcome our fear, and we are shouting. Like, we are realizing what's happening. It's not someone pretending to scare us. There is actually a spirit in there. So we are praying, and it is getting louder, and we are praying louder. We're like, the blood of Jesus over this city. We speak the blood of Jesus. Ah! We speak the blood of Jesus over this city. We break the power of, the, we break the power of, of, of drugs. We break the power. Of, and we're like, we break the power of prostitution. All the things that I've been walking and praying. We break the spirit over the prostitution over this city. We break the... Spirit of addiction, and it's going, ah! now, now, now it's screaming like you can barely hear us over the scream. And so we're like, this goes on for like five minutes. Can you imagine how long five minutes is in this intensity? It's not like five minutes in a prayer meeting by any means. And we are praying, and everyone's into it, and we're speaking. And then pretty soon, we're, and we're getting louder, and we're getting stronger, and people are getting specific things that we're praying against, you know? Like, different people are like, yes, and this thing, we pray against that thing. And it's, ah, screaming, you know? And then all of a sudden, we're praying, and it goes, ah! Oh, oh, oh. Just like that. I said, let's pray some more. Let's pray a little bit more. So we pray for another two or three minutes, and it's gone. The next morning, so remember, I've been, it's crazy, right? So, the, so I've been praying for a year, right? I never encountered anything like that. I, I never had one scary moment, besides it's really dark when it's nighttime. 
But, but I mean, there's nothing. I never had any reason to be afraid until then. The next morning, the head of probation calls me. His name is Dick, Dick Maybe. He calls me and he says, hey, we have a, a bunch of kids on probation in Lewiston that are all, they've all broke their probation. There's like 30 of them, 35, 40 of them. And we're going to either send them back to juvenile hall or we're going to make their parents come to a parenting class to teach them how to parent their kids for, for uh, six weeks. Two, two nights a week, and we'd wonder if you would take the kids for those six weeks, two nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and just do something with them. And he said to me, he knows I'm a Christian because I also have businesses, and he's one of my customers. And he goes, Chris, you can't, you can't Bible bang them <laughs> because uh, you're gonna be doing it in the name of the probation department. You do whatever you want, but just don't say Jesus to them. <laughs> and he was trying to be really funny and nice, you know, I'm like, He's a really big guy. Just, Chris, I, I know what you do, but just don't say Jesus to him. I'm like, all right, well, you want to do it? I'm like, I'm thinking like that has something to do with what we prayed yesterday. So anyway, the short story is we end up doing it two nights a week. They give us 37 kids. Uh, the, first, the first two nights we have 37 kids and it grows to 120 kids. Instead of six weeks, I end up there for five years. We adopt our, our oldest son, he's 15, who, who was in there. We see kids delivered, saved, healed. Now these are all non-Christian kids, and by the way, I would bring some of my friends to the gym. You know, they were like, hey, we'd like to come and help you. I'm like, okay, this would be interesting. So you know, all my kids speak Egyptian. <laughs> you know Egyptian? Like the F word's their favorite word, you know. You know Egyptian, that kind of Egyptian. Sorry if you're Egyptian, you're like, slandered our people. <laughs> Hebrew, whatever. Anyway, they would come down to help and they, they couldn't, they would be like, they'd be like trying to correct, don't use that word. I'm like, dude, the problem isn't the word. The problem is these kids come from broken homes. And Anyway, I could, uh, if I'm not careful, I'll preach the whole message on Lewis and, and, and what happened there. We had five fights the first night. And, um, and finally, and I broke up the fights. First I tell them, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you know, I'm used to pastoring Christians. Stop, stop, you know, and I have my wife with me and my, my three kids. So stop, stop fighting, please. Y'all, stop it. I really was, and then and finally I jump on them and we crash two guys to the floor and, you know, and anyway, we did that five times the first night. And, uh, and then after we stayed open, like after six weeks, I got the tough kids together, the first, the five toughest kids, it was four, the four guys and a girl, the, they were the ones who inspired all the fighting. They were the, most of the drug pushers. They brought guns and knives and everything you can think of there. And I sat them down and said, how would you like to have the gym open longer? Like I could come for the next year, but if there's a gun or a knife or a drug deal in here, after that I lock up and I never come back. And you five have to make sure that doesn't happen in here. So you're the cops and I'm the preacher. And then I remember like, effing, that'd be effing good. <laughs> okay, well, you effing gotta make sure that we don't get killed in here. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if anyone's ever read the book Moral Revolution, but there's a ring story in there. The Lord gave me that ring story in 15 seconds in my first meeting with the probation kids. It's a story about the power of virginity, by the way. I couldn't talk about Jesus, but I could talk about morality. And... Uh, and when I told that story, and it's a whole story about a ring that turns out to be, that turns out to be a virginity, and when the, the girl loses the ring, and then I say, that ring was your virginity, the toughest guy that night, he, is, he was in four of the five fights. He says out loud, no one effing told me about this, about keeping his virginity. And he's weeping, and all 37 kids are weeping, and the girl who was... Uh, very seductive, obviously for where she'd come from. 
She said, no one effing ever told me about this either. And that was my inspiration for staying. I said, these kids are hungry for the truth, but no one's ever taken the time to tell them that. And out of that, I, I started, uh, played basketball with them, and at halftime, we had a teaching. And um, after six weeks, they didn't have to stay, so they only came if they, they only stayed into the teaching part if they wanted to, but it got snowy and rainy, so, they, and there was, there was uh, Coke and cookies if they stayed. <laughs> anyway, it was powerful. I have 20 minutes. So I want to tell you some things I learned. First thing I learned, I, I mean, I knew all these things in my mind, but it's one thing to know them, and it's another thing to know them. Right. I'd like to remind you that we don't inhabit this planet, we cohabit this planet. Yeah. We cohabit this planet with, with, another, with two other dimensions, and those are angels and demons. And what's interesting is the Bible teaches about angels and demons a lot. In fact, the angels are mentioned uh, uh, only three times less than the Holy Spirit. And, um, and the, the Bible teaches about angels and demons, but most Christians have a philosophy of angels and demons, but they actually don't believe in them. I don't mean it as an assault. I mean it as, you know, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And the world that I lived in for a long time was so present with demons that I always prayed for angel help. And so I, I, wanna, I just want to tell you that there, the, I, I said this a little while ago, so I'm, I'll do this really quickly. But there are actually three dimensions of heaven. Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 6-12 uh, uh, says, Our struggle is not against, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, in heavenly places, in heavenly places, and then Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 two, I knew a man uh, in Christ who 14 years ago, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, who went to the third heaven. Why do we number the heavens? Because Paul said the third heaven. So if there's third heaven, there's gotta be a second and a first. Um, real simply, uh, and I'll, I'll make this part short, real simply, we live in the first heaven, the visible kingdom, and we live in the third heaven, which we talked about earlier, and we're in a war with the second heaven. When Jesus, uh, Matthew 28, when he rose from the dead, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus actually took the keys. Remember that, I will back up for just a second. When Adam and Eve uh, were created, God said to them, remember, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. And he gave them authority over the earth. When Adam and Eve, especially Adam, when Adam ate the fruit, the forbidden fruit, he didn't just disobey God which is the way people tell the story all the time. He obeyed the devil. God said, don't eat the fruit. The devil said, eat the fruit. When Adam, when Adam ate the fruit, he disobeyed God and he obeyed the devil. And thus, God put all of creation, all of earth under the, under the control of Adam and Eve. And when Adam switched masters, he gave the earth to the devil. So why did Jesus, why did God have to become a man? Because the son of, man, son of God had to become the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. God had to whip the devil as a man because he gave the earth to men. And so Jesus comes, he defeats the devil. And again, this is all, this is a 30 minute talk I'm giving you in three minutes. He, ro he rose from the dead and he gave the keys to the authority to back to men. So the devil said in Luke 4, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kings of the world for they have been handed over to me. Who handed them over to them? Adam. So God got the keys back through Jesus Christ. And he, when he said all authority has been given to me in heaven, that, wouldn't have been, uh, that, wouldn't, that would not have been surprising to the disciples. But when he said and earth, that would have been a shock to their theology. Now, then he said, now you make disciples of nations, meaning the devil no longer carries authority. He has power, which is called dunamis. We get our word uh, dynamite from it. But he has no authority, which is the word exousia. We have authority and power. And we have more power than he has. I'm gonna give you power. I'm gonna give you dunamis over all the dunamis of the enemy. So the, the, the devil has power, but he has no authority to use his power unless you deputize him. Wow. Are you with me? 
So the challenge is, is that if we just minister on it from the first heaven, how many know the second heaven has a power over the first heaven? I didn't say authority, I said power. So the second heaven is more powerful than the first heaven. Are you with me? But the third heaven is more powerful than the second heaven and the first heaven. Are you with me? Okay, now, okay, so see if I can still do this in 15 minutes. The, the challenge is, so the question becomes, um, who's initiating the fight? Okay, let me give you a little hint. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 6, 10, which we just, we just quoted, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Okay, well, in, in verse 12, if you look at your Bible, um, you can do that quickly. Verse 12, it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but, it's, but against uh, New American Standard, it says rulers. Uh, I think uh, NIV says principalities, like the first enemy, the first enemy that's named there. Okay, well, the first enemy in the Greek is the word origin. Like my Bible calls it ruler. Your Bible might call it principality. But the actual word is the word origin. Are you following me? Origin. Okay, why, why am I telling you that? I'm, I'm telling you that because demons are named after the influence they have on humans. Do you remember when Jesus cast out the deaf and dumb spirit? The deaf and dumb spirit wasn't its name. It was like, it's like the way we name diseases. We name diseases by the impact they have on human bodies. Well, the Bible names demons after the influence they have on humanity. Are you with me? So the deaf and dumb spirit, when the boy had a deaf and dumb spirit and he got it cast out, the name, of the, the name of the spirit, you know, spirits are people in another realm. The name of the spirit isn't deaf and dumb. He's identified by Jesus as the impact he's having on the boy. Are you with me? Okay, so the reason why the, one of the princes, and by the way, it's not a demon, it's a prince. The reason why the prince is called origin is because it's a sign to question the origins of God. Are you with me? Um, okay, Paul said to the Philippians, uh, when I came to you at my first preaching, okay, it's gonna make sense in a minute. The two words, first preaching, are the word origins. Okay, follow me. Paul said, when I came to you, at my, at, when I came to you the first time, I preached to you the, at my first preaching, I'm sorry, when I came to you at my first preaching, I taught you the word of God. The word first preaching is origin, are you with me? So Paul's actually saying, when I came to you the first time, I taught you the origins of God. So God is teaching origins, but the enemy's teaching origins. Okay, are you with me? And this is not a demon, so it's, we're not talking about personal, we're talking about corporate. Are you with me? So this is a principality. That, so, um, so, so this demon has the assignment to question the origins, and it says, were you really made in the image of God, or were you an evolutionized ape? Are you really, is that really a, a baby, or is it just a fetus? Get this, are you really a boy? Maybe you're a girl. The reason why things that are scientifically, biologically, psychologically, and spiritually false, but feel extremely real is because it's not coming from here. It's coming from here. You can't argue it out because it didn't get argued in. It's a spirit. It's a principality. And you know principalities when somebody is thinking something that is so irrational that science could disprove it. Psychologists could disprove it. The Bible disproves it. I'm like, every realm goes, no, you are a boy. And you go, I know I'm a girl. It feels so strong because that's the power of origin. Are you with me? And I'm saying that because we don't understand the second heaven, we argue from the first heaven and wonder why we don't defeat the enemies of God, not understanding that our power is, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Listen, it's not only not against people, but actually the weapons we have are actually powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Get the next, the next line. And our, the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What's the next line? And we're destroying what? Thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. What is speculation? I think maybe I am. 
And Paul says the speculations are actually fortresses. How do you know what a fortress is? When somebody defends something that is illogical and ridiculous, and yet they defend it as if it's true, the deception's powerful because origin has given them a message. Origin is out to transgender our children. It's not the government. It is not the government. Origins out to redefine men and women. Origin says, listen, men and women are interchangeable. Why? Because origin wants children to have two mommies or two daddies. It's the LGBTQ doctrine. We want to be a normal family. You're not a normal family because moms and dads aren't the same. So now we have toxic masculinity. We have to shame men into feminizing them, and I have to masculinize women so that we can meet in the middle and be the same. You ever watch cop shows? I watch them, I love them. And I love women, and I wrote a book on empowering women. You ever notice who's in charge of almost every cop show? A woman. You ever notice when a woman is, you ever notice when the criminal takes off running, who goes after her and catches her first? The woman. She can knock down a 250 pound man and cuff him by herself. No, you don't understand. It's great entertainment, but you are being deluded. You are being taught. Men and women are equally powerful and equally the same. And I'm like, no, they're distinctly powerful, they're equally powerful and distinctly different. This is origin. We are in a war. It's the war of the worlds. It's not the third world war. It's the first world war that we've been in since Genesis story. And the challenge is is that Christians are taking on the spirit of origin. And they're part of redefining the origin. They have taken on the teaching ministry of origin. And now we have gay churches. And transgender priests. Listen, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just trying to get us to understand that loving people in deception is about telling people the truth with compassion. But more importantly, you can't talk someone out of something they didn't get talked into. (laughs) And... Okay, let's see if I can tell you this story. I did that in three minutes. That's a half hour message right there. Okay, let's see if I can give you another piece of information. The question becomes, who's initiating the fight? You're like, what do you mean by that? Okay, so God encounters Abraham, and he says to him, let's see if I can find this scripture real quick. He says to Abraham, yes, it's in Genesis 15, if you want to read it or make notes, it's chapter, uh, verse 12 to 16. He says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless you. Stars of the sky, sands of the sea. You know what I'm saying? Children, as children. You're going to be the father of many nations. We already talked about it earlier. You're going to be the father of many nations. But there's going to be this little blip in which your people are going to be in bondage for 400 years. Until the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. This is what God said. You're going to be, your people, the Israelites, they're going to be in in bondage for 400, just going to be 400 years. And and then I'm going to let my people go. And when the iniquity of the Amorite is complete, I'm I'm going to release them. Are you with me? Fast forward. Now, we have uh, Joseph comes to Egypt. You know the whole story. I think Brian told some of the story. Joseph comes to Egypt. There's a famine, da-da-da. Joseph tells the Pharaoh, hey, here's what you should do. Save food for seven years sell it back for seven years. And Joseph effectively takes a first world country where the wealth is spread among all the people and he makes it a third world country and Pharaoh becomes rich and enslaves all of Egypt. Okay, Exodus chapter one. There arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And what did he do? He enslaved the people. Joseph enslaved the Egyptians and the next generation 
the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. Israelites. How long did they enslave them? For 400 years. Are you following me? Okay. The Lord prophesied to Abraham that the Egyptians would be enslaved for 400 years. In the 320th year, something happens. Do you remember what happened? What happened is the Pharaoh decides to kill all the firstborn Jewish male children. Remember this? So Joseph, I'm sorry, so Moses' mom puts him in a basket and floats him down the river, the Nile River, and who should rescue him? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter rescues him. He's raised in the palace. Now, you're not supposed to know this part of the story yet, but why is he raised in the palace? Because he's going to be the head of a nation, and therefore he needs to be mentored by a king. Are you with me? So in the 320th year, he's floated down the river. In the 360th year, he goes out one day and he sees the Egyptians, the Egyptians mistreating the Israelites, and he tries to rescue them. You remember all this, right? Just I'm going fast. You know the story. The Egyptian, he kills the Egyptian, and then he tries to convince his brothers, and, and then he ends up in the wilderness. Okay, what's the, ch- what's the problem? God prophesied it'd be 400 years. What's the problem? Moses is the right man with the right job, with the right anointing, but he's 40 years too early. Now he goes into the wilderness. He shepherds sheep for 40 years, discouraged and broken, and then he talks to a bush. Not George. (laughs) And the bush says, I've seen the oppression of my people, and I send you. And for the quick story, Moses says, what do I do if he, doesn't, if he doesn't listen to me? And God says, what do you got in hand? He says, I got a stick. He said, throw it down. It becomes a snake. God goes, try that. So they end up in front of Pharaoh, Aaron and Moses. And he gives the message that God told him. Aaron, tell him what God said. Aaron's like, God said, let his people go, da-da-da. <laughs> Pharaoh's like, screw you. I mean, this is my workforce. No. And Moses says to Aaron, show him our trick. (laughs) And Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. Are you with me? And Pharaoh goes to the the sorcerers. Can you do that? And they go, yeah. And they throw down their staffs and it becomes two snakes. Are you following me so far? Are you you understanding what's happening? (laughs) There's two snakes, and God only has one snake. There's three snakes, and only one of them's God. (laughs) Who initiated the fight? Not Pharaoh. Moses. But let's back up. Why did Pharaoh decide to kill all the firstborn male Jewish children? I'd propose that the devil knows your prophecies better than you do. And the devil goes, "Uh uh-oh, it's the 320th year. God's raising up a deliverer he promised to Abraham. Are you with me? What I'm pointing out is it looks like the second heaven is trying to destroy God's people, but I'd propose it's in response to a third heaven prophecy in which God goes, in the 400th year, I'm going to let my people go. And the devil goes, I better kill the deliverer because God always keeps his word. I'm pointing out that there's a first heaven problem, but it's actually initiated by the third heaven, not the second heaven. And the second heaven is playing defense to something God's doing. He's responding to a prophecy. <laughs> He's like, I got to get to deliver. I don't know who he is. I don't have enough, like the devil didn't have enough knowledge to know who he was, but he knew he'd be Jewish and he knew he'd be a boy. So he tries to kill all the boys. And how does he know the timing? Because he knows math. And he goes back from 400 years and he goes, he's got to be alive today. So he decides to kill him. So now they're in front of Pharaoh 
and they throw down their staff and it becomes a snake and Pharaoh throws down, his sorcerers throw down their staffs and it becomes two snakes and their snake eats their snake. And then they come back and you know there's 10 plagues. They come back and uh, I forget the second one, I think it's the frogs and they go, okay, there's gonna be frogs and then Pharaoh goes, can you do that? And the sorcerer's like, yeah, we can do that. And they reproduce frogs. And I think it's kind of funny because God's giving them plagues and the sorcerers are making it twice as bad. I got to think sometimes, so at some point, you know, Pharaoh's like, yeah, don't, don't yeah, no more. Uh, uh, okay, uh, here's, I got to finish. Here's my point. Who initiated the fight? Not the devil. God did. And here's the challenge. Christians run away from the snakes and they go, the sorcerers are creating snakes. We can't do snakes. God, the sorcerers didn't initiate the snakes God did. <laughs> and we, we're running away from everything that's powerful in the name of, I don't want to be like the cults. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not like the cults. The cults are like you. God's the one initiating. Listen, are you with me? Like, they're not duplicating things that aren't powerful, and then we become powerless and wonder why the freaking devil has taken over the world because we have offer no resistance because everything that we do that's powerful they duplicate so we think it's the new age it's the cult it's the cultists it's the satanists and it's like oh they're doing all that satan stuff and we do things like communion where we're blink drinking the blood of jesus <laughs> and we're taking bread that signifies the body we eating bodies and drinking blood <laughs> and accusing the Satanists of drinking blood. It's like, Satanists aren't doing anything. It wasn't initiated by God. We're drinking blood every Sunday. We're eating bodies every Sunday, and we're like, they're weird. Come on. And I want to finish by saying this. We're in a war, and we're going to win. No, what? No, I'm sorry, that's wrong. We already won. All we have to do is be in the game, and we're going to win. <laughs> we in California, we're in a battle. You in Texas, you're in a battle. Like, I don't care where you're at. Right now, you're in a battle. You're like, it's not going to touch me. It's going to touch everybody until you stand up and you say, enough. You aren't teaching my kids this <laughs> stuff. Sorry, I did grow up in the streets, so. I do have a bigger vocabulary than a few of you, just on occasion for emphasis in a private meeting. You are not teaching my kids this delusional stuff. I'm sorry. But, you know, the challenge is we've come 50 years late, as we said in this previous my previous session. We're 50 years late, and we're like, oh, my God, the devil's taking over. The devil's not taking over. You've been sitting by the suds, you know, say, you know, singing my little light of mine. <laughs> Not gonna let the devil blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. I'm not gonna let the devil blow it out. Dude, this crazy theology we grew up with makes us feel like powerless victims. It is, makes me crazy. I know I'm going to offend you in just a minute. Wait till I give you the example. It makes us like powerless victims, and we see the whole world like, oh, what? oh, I mean, just stop. Oh, they made us shut down our churches. Oh, my gosh. Listen, if you can stop assembling and it destroyed your church, you didn't have one. Let me be clear. Let me be clear. Whether you should have opened or closed isn't my point. I'll be clear. Like, should we have stayed open or closed? That, if, if you think I'm making a statement by that, I'm not. I'm pointing out our mentality is we are victims. The government's after us. Oh, my gosh. Even though they shut down the NBA and the NFL and every other entertainment and they gave us PPP money, oh, they're trying to kill us. And I'm like, maybe they didn't make the right decision, but you have a victim mentality. You think everyone's against you. You have an enemy, 
It's called a devil. It's funny to me that people got madder about closed church than they did about open campuses to LGBTQ, and they're teaching your, your, your kids crap, and there's no protest about that. I don't hear everybody, anybody singing. Keep our curriculum clean. But I do hear, let me worship. As if worship is just music. The day that worship is just music is the day we all die. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm sorry, when I'm playing with my kids, I am worshiping God. I, my body, Lucifer's body used to be an instrument of worship. My body is an instrument of worship. My voice, my dog can't sing like I sing. Because I was born with the instruments of worship. I know, I understand. But I'm leaving tomorrow. And Brian's gonna clean this up tonight. I'm not trying to say you should close or, or not close. If you think I said that, you, you misunderstood me and you're becoming a victim. I'm saying it bothers me that we're always the victim. Everybody's trying to kill us. I'm like, there are people trying to kill you. Focus on the right one and let's get the distinguishing of spirits so we know what snake is God's and what snake is the devil's and stop running, stop running from every snake because God's got a snake in there too. And God's snake may be smaller, it may look feeble, but it eats big snakes. What did, what did they do when Jesus was born? What, oh, sorry, I'm yelling. What did they do when Jesus was born? What did Herod do when Jesus was born? He tried to kill all the firstborn children. Why? Because the devil's trying to take over the world. No, because God is trying to take over the world. It was a second heaven response, reaction to a first heaven idea. The Savior's coming, and the devil goes, we got to stop him. Let's beat him as kids. Let's beat him while he's little. Was the devil initiating the fight? No. God was initiating the fight. We are in a war of the worlds. You're like, oh, I don't believe in war. Well, God calls himself a mighty warrior, so you better get used to it, because I've figured out we're probably gonna have some other ones when we get into eternity. And I'd like to propose that the angels are on our side. And there's more war for us than those who are against us. So all we need is a great strategy. We need a great spirit-led strategy. And we need to stay in the game. And we need to have a long-term vision. And we need to realize it took 50 years to get here, so it might take us 20 years to get back to a place where righteousness rules again. But we know it will because it says, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 60, that, behold, deep darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. When? When deep darkness covers the earth. We were born for darkness. We're called light. Listen, listen. No, you're not listening. You're clapping. You're taking up my time, which I'm already over. I never complain when I turn on a flashlight. Oh my gosh, it's so dark out. That's why I have a flashlight. You're called the light of the world. Why are you griping about darkness when you were created specifically for darkness? Like your job is light. What are you griping about? It's so dark, turn on. Power up. You were born for this season. You were equipped for dark seasons. Okay, stand up, let me pray for you. Just say, Chris, thank you for being right. And say this, I repent for being wrong. 
Oh, that was much quieter. That was much quieter. <laughs> Lord, I just release the light of God over each one of us. And Lord, I thank you that you said you're the light of the world, not the light of the church. I thank you that you place the light in the world, right where it needs it, right in dark places like Lewiston, California. And Lord, I thank you that you transformed Lewiston in five years. By the way, we won two community awards there. That place is beautiful now. I was just back there last week. We filmed it. There, where, the, where the demons were screaming in the field is now a baseball field. The gym is all remodeled. That place is a, all, the entire, that entire little town. All those houses are fixed up. The drug dealers are gone. The prostitutes don't live there anymore. Lord, we thank you that you transform cities. Little tiny cities and great big cities. Little tiny cities and great big cities. Some of you are like, well, that was a little city. No, that was a little experiment like a mustard seed. But Austin, Austin is next. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.